In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden. And the Lord God took the man that he created and placed him in the garden to cultivate and care for it. And when no suitable helper was found for him, the Lord God created woman. So the Lord God made humankind in his image. He made them male and female. He made them, and God blessed them. And when he looked on his entire creation, he said, it is very good. The actual term is, as good as good can be, for you Dr. Seuss fans. (laughs) In fact, it was perfect. Male and female co Stewards over everything God had created. Together, working together. They had meaningful work. They had companionship with one another and they had communion with God. And everything happened in balance and in perfect harmony and equilibrium. All of those things coming together, working as they were supposed to be. The ancient Hebrews had a word for it. Shalom. And that's what it means, is to everything be working together just as it's supposed to be. Shalom. And we call it peace, but it's really lasting peace. And it's not peace just happening inside my heart. It's peace between you and me. It is relational at its very core. Peace. That's the picture. But then one day, something happened, didn't it? We know this. Because we see it on our news feeds. Someone just this morning, a place on the other side of the world, something happened. We don't have that peace. Something changed. Human beings, deceived and manipulated to be sure, but still chose against God. They chose to do something God told them, don't do, don't do this, don't eat from that particular tree. You've got a whole lot of other trees, just don't eat from this one or that one. And what did they do? They ate from the one that they weren't supposed to. Something happened. And the universe went sideways in all kinds of directions. Some of us have experienced that in very real ways, unfortunately. We argue and we fight and we even kill each other. And, and when that's not you know, acceptable to kill each other, we just assassinate their character. We twist what was created as wondrous. And we feel inadequate and unworthy and unloved, hiding for fear of what other people might think. Even the planet seems to be a little miffed. Angry, animosity towards those who were meant to cultivate and care for it. And at the very heart, we lost connection with God the one who created all of it. We lost that connection somewhere along the line. In that moment, things changed, but that was the big relationship. And and here's the thing. When we couldn't reach out to him, 
God reached out to us. When, when we couldn't actually make that, that trip, God came down, wrapped himself in human flesh. He came as a baby so that we would understand, that we could relate to him, because we understand babies, don't we? We understand them. And he came also, not just as a baby, but he came as a miracle worker. Why? To get our attention. To, to, to be able to back up the things he was saying in such a way that we would take notice. And he came as a rabbi so that he could teach us really what God had on his mind. And in the end... We killed him too. After his death, two disciples, a man named Joseph of Arimathea and another man named Nicodemus, who were actually members of the re religious elite, followed Jesus from afar. They went to the governing authorities and they asked for Jesus' body so that they could give him a proper Jewish burial. We, we pick the story up in, in John chapter, chapter uh, 19. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, please understand, there are some customs here. There are some practices that the ancient Jews had that we don't necessarily understand right away because every time we open up the Bible, when you open the text, we're tourists. We don't necessarily fully comprehend all of those, but... But here, it tells us there's this day of preparation, so they have to do what they can in order to be true to their teacher, but at the same time, there are certain customs that are governing them. And so he's laid to rest. And a few days later, another one of his followers, a woman named Mary Magdalene, goes to the tomb and in a very subtle way, very subtle way, she notices that the tomb is open. Now, this is obviously very perplexing, because why would you do such a thing? And so what does she do? She runs, and she tells the other disciples what she has witnessed. And two of Jesus' closest associates, Peter, and John, Peter was the oldest, very likely, of all of the disciples, probably in his early 20s. And John was probably the, the youngest, could have been as young as 13 years old. They raced towards the tomb to be able to see it for themselves. And when they get there, they find that the tomb is empty. And, and John, being the younger, steps off to the side so that Peter could be the first to look in. And Peter sees, and then John sees, and... And the tomb is indeed not only open, it's empty. Now, what 
what just happened? They just lost their rabbi in the most horrific of possible circumstances. And now this too? Wait a minute. Can you imagine what that kind of confusion would be? Because I just saw him die. I know that they put him here. He is not here. I don't understand this. And John picks up the story again. And the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Remember, think about the order here. Peter, John, to the tomb. Look in, it's empty. Mary, weeping, looks into the tomb. Peter and John were just there. Keep this in mind. And Mary saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. Isn't that interesting? And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Now, understand, woman here is not some type of strange term. This would be very similar to calling them miss or ma'am. It's a very respectful term. Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Hmm. Amazing. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, same question, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. heart so obvious here look if this isn't where he's supposed to be that's okay I'll, I'll, I'll go and I'll do the work this is, this is her love for him in a very real way you just tell me I'll go find him she's not angry she's, she's worried she's hurt she's upset she wants to make sure that they, they know where he is because he meant so much hmm Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus has a little conversation with her at that point. He says, go and tell my disciples. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now, Technically speaking, technically speaking, an apostle is one who has seen the risen Lord and is given a message to tell others. So who's the first apostle? And women have no place in ministry. Please. Sometimes Jesus has the best sense of humor ever. But you know, there's something else in this. There's something else that, that's in this, this little body of work. Something that's just really familiar. Just something, just kind of right there on the edge of consciousness. Some, something that's just right there that, golly, there's, 
Let me get this straight. There's a garden. And a woman who meets a man that she thought was a gardener. One who cultivates and cares for it. Do you see? Do you see what John is after? What's going on here? What, what's happening? Have I read this before? Wait, wait a minute. Didn't, didn't I see these couple things before? I mean, I mean, I'm pretty sure that I've read this somewhere before. And yes, by the way, John is trying to capture your attention. He's trying to get you to think about something else, something that happened previously. For those of you who are Bible scholars, this is called the principle of first mention. It's supposed to remind you of the beginning. And here's the really cool thing. I want you to think about this. Adam and Eve knew each other. They knew each other's names. In fact, there was a whole naming process that went on. We read about it in Genesis chapter 2. And when they did that thing that they weren't supposed to do, when they ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, even though they knew each other, they felt ashamed and they went and they hid themselves. Right? Now notice what happens here. The identity of Jesus is completely hidden until he says her name. And then it's revealed. So what's happening here? Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded in following God even to the point of death. And that changes everything. It changes everything. It breaks the pattern that has been going on since the beginning of time. And we must understand that what we are seeing in John, in his imagery that he's using, is a complete an utter and total reset. And the universe begins to shift back to where it belonged in the first place. Now, it's not there yet, right? Because there's still all kinds of nasty stuff going on in the world. It's not there yet. But in this act, everything began to change and God started putting things to right. This is enormous. In fact, I was thinking about this, and I have this whole list on my notes, and I thought to myself earlier today, I thought, look, the bottom line here is there's no amount of words that I can say that will adequately describe the absolute magnanimity, the enormity of this set of circumstances. This is cosmic. It's huge, ginormous. Make up your own word. But the astonishing thing with all of it is, is while it's that big and while it's that um, far-reaching that we can't even imagine it, that the entire cosmos, the universe itself, is somehow shifted by it, it means something for you and me. Today, right here, right where you are. It's that big and it's that small. It's that intimate. 
It's that personal. It's both and. It's not either or because it's God. And here's what it might mean for you and for me. There is always and always will be hope. Because all of this is going somewhere. And Jesus' act of resurrection was the first step to putting things back to the way it should be. Come as you are, but don't stay that way because there is more. Everybody has another step to take with Jesus. Everybody has something to learn. Everybody has a place to grow. Every single one of us. And change is possible if you trust and follow, and that's not easy. Believe me. And if you think it's easy now, just wait. It's going to get challenging. Your past does not determine your future. And boy, that sounds like good news. And however you feel about yourself and your circumstances, you must understand that He loves you and He made a way for you to be with Him because He wants to be with you. Not some strange version of you, not some imagined version of you, you. You need to understand that, that all of this cosmic orientation was also for you. And here's what else it means. The story does not end at the grave, and death does not get the last word. And if that's the case, what do you have to be afraid of? Does that make sense? That's the extreme. You don't have to worry about the extreme. That one's taken care of. Now let's deal with you and your circumstances and where you're at. You know, we often talk about this in the church. It strikes me. We often talk about heaven. Um, and trust me, I'm a big fan of heaven. I think that's a part of the truth that I think that Jesus offers us. But, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, the scripture is pretty clear when it talks about the fact that Jesus conquered death, but it also says that he conquered sin. Mm, that's interesting. And I think sometimes we forget that part. And I think that one of the things that this scene in John teaches us, if we really pay close attention to it, if, if, we, if we really pay close attention to it, is this. You don't have to make the same choice that Adam did. You don't have to. Because Jesus showed us the way. And if we trust and we follow that, rest assured, you don't have to make those same choices. Boy, is that good news. We're predisposed to it. We will often choose it. But we don't have to. And that's a hopeful and an encouraging thought. Would you agree? Hmm. The resurrection changes everything. Uh, Pastor Dan pointed this out earlier. He's absolutely right. Without the resurrection, we don't have any faith. The resurrection changes everything. And that means it changes us too.